0: Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the honor of speaking with Dominic Gauthier. Dom is an amazing human being who has transcended life as an elite athlete in freestyle skiing, becoming a world-class coach, and now life as a leader and entrepreneur. He currently acts as the leader of B210 Foundation that is actively dedicated to supporting Canada's amazing Olympians as well as inspiring Canadians to a life of sport and activity. As an athlete, he competed at the highest levels of his sport. As a coach, he contributed to the gold medal achievement of two of the athletes he supported. As a leader of B210, he contributes daily to the success and growth of some of Canada's most amazing athletes. The reason I have him on Leave Your Mark is that beyond all of his accomplishments, he is a tremendous spirit who lives life to the fullest, embraces his partnership with Jennifer, and is a super dad. Welcome, Dom.
1: Well, thank you, Scotty, I should say. Yeah, no (laughs)
0: worries. Um, Easy question to kick this thing off. do you remember the first Habs game you ever went to
1: ha! Uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was uh, i don't know what age I was quickly like that. I was probably like nineteen twenty I was at the uh, at the forum obviously and uh, was with my previous father in law i guess not that we were married, but it was a girlfriend and her dad had season tickets so I brought me to a few games per year. And that's when I was actually really, really into it because my dad uh, was an ABS fan, although I was from Quebec City, right? So we were all Nordiques in the schoolyard, except me and a few others. Uh, you know, we liked to, to stir the pot a little bit, um, which obviously Montreal was more successful, especially during those years of early 80s. And uh, when I first went to that uh, arena, I was just like feeling like, you know, sitting and walking into history. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I was probably lucky to go maybe like 10 or 15 times. Um, and then I got to since they move out of there, I, I've been, not just because of the arena, but I haven't been that into like going to the games as much. Let's put it this way. But I, I used to love it. So yeah, those memories are, are, are fresh to my mind and, and an amazing one
0: did you go to nordiques games when you were a kid and come back yeah
1: so i guess my childhood memories are more with the nordiques my dad had a shared season's ticket so we went uh, uh when i was quite young and those were the, the greatest probably like i would say the most uh fun activity that i actually did with my dad my dad was not really a, an athlete himself so we didn't do that much sports together like he would bring me to the hockey rink he would bring me to the the slopes he would bring me to wherever Uh, he was always supportive but uh, we didn't really do sports together that much so uh, going there was like an activity we did together and I, I, I just actually I remember like like it's vivid like like who was sitting beside us and and the weird guy in the row behind and this nice lady in front of us and 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 I just wish honestly that hockey would be back to that reasonable price range where more people can enjoy those moments. Cause mm. now like, unless, unless you're going with, you know, unless, well, unless you're wealthy or you're working for a corporation that has tickets, it's, I don't think it's available anymore for, for normal parents with, with, with kids from normal families, you know? Uh, and that's unfortunate because I think you can build amazing uh, memories with your parents that way and with your child. Yeah, it is a sad but For part. me, it's graved in my head, those Nordiques. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then we had that, that rough year. I actually, I went. So you asked me what, when is the first time I went to the, the Habs? Well, I actually went also to the last games of the Nordiques uh, oh. at the Colisée. Uh, it was against the Rangers. And uh, me and my friend like, were both to scalp some ticket last minute. And again, it was, it was pretty affordable. I can't remember how much we paid exactly, but that was the last game they ever played. And then they moved and we know the, the history.
0: How did that feel when Patrick went to Colorado and won a Stanley Cup just after they left? That must have eaten you guys alive.
1: Yeah, and you know, like, I, although I was a Habs fan, and even to that point, they were my team, I'm a guy that, you know what, I really want this Stanley Cup to come back to Canada one day. I, I can't believe that someone is from a city that doesn't cheer for their city. So although I was, you know, maybe prone to cheer for the Habs. I still wanted the Nordiques to do well. And when they left, it broke my heart as well. Cause you know that's my city. It didn't have a club anymore. And then, you know, that club, well, you know, part of that club anyway, won the Stanley cup the next year. So, uh, my, my Quebec heart was, was broken, you know, as my Canadian heart is broken now that the last cup was won, you know, in Montreal uh 24 years ago now 20, 25
0: it was 25 years this summer actually i think was the anniversary it would be, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time baby. maybe we'll circle back yeah. to that and your opinion of uh, what's going on in that part of the world but uh, tell me about your dad your dad was what kind of man and how did he influence you as a person
1: um well he passed away three years soon four years ago mm-hmm. and he was mr positive Positive. Um, to a point where as a teenager, it almost bothered me like how joyful and, and positive he was, you know, at seven in the morning, like, oh, 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 good morning, kid. Yes. And we're still like, you know, working at crazy hours, but, uh, for me, what he brought was that, is that, 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 that joy, that, that, that smile, that even though if things are not going that well, um, when you smile and when you behave that way with a positive mind and with the people around you, like things seems to turn around in a positive way. And that's what I, I really took the most from him. And, you know, like I said earlier for sport, he was not the most, uh, Athletic person, although you know, he played golf, played hockey when he was young. He was actually quite active when he was young. Uh, and probably because of the work, you know, started to do a lot less of, uh, of sports in his older days. But he would always, you know, bring me and my sister to, to the rinks, to the slopes. And which was crazy is that one year I told him after starting skiing as a family, I told him that I wanted to play hockey. And, uh, you know, at five years old, he said, okay, we'll go play hockey, which meant you know not renting the chalet at the slopes anymore and going to the arenas but I never felt the pressure of I kind of found out later that they were not super happy about it but they just <laughs> did it because they wanted to, us uh, me and my sister to, 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 to fulfill our, our dreams to do whatever we wanted to do and uh, and then when I told them I wanted to come back to skiing when I was 11 years old um, they were pretty happy with that call I think because then it becomes again this family activity so they were just parents both him and my mom like were not like crazy competitive themselves so uh, you know I'm not sure where I got that that need to win and that that fear of losing like that's so strong in me uh but basically they were just there supportive and I remember like want, like wanting to call my parents more when things were not going well uh, than when things were going well which to me was was a good sign of uh, of them doing a good job because you know I've had people teammates and, and other friends that I've uh, I've met uh, along the way that for them it was the opposite right they they, they, mm-hmm. they felt bad calling their parents when things didn't go well if they had a bad event a bad competition and, and and to me that's what I'd like to to bring now to my kids as a dad and for me as a parent you know like kind of like what my parents were um, you know, I'll try to to be the same with with my kids and you know, my wife, you know, well, Jennifer Heil, who's an Olympic champion and I'm an Olympian myself and a coach of Olympian. Um, You know, like, you know, people look at us and are like, Oh my God, like you guys will put like so much pressure on on your kids to be good in sport probably. Uh, But it's not the case. I think we want to expose them to a lot of sport. Um, We want to give them the opportunities, but then, you know, if, If they excel in something and become really good, you know, in one sport or another, um, of course we'll be happy, but it's not something that we'll be pushing for. We just want them to be uh, loving what they do and give themselves as much as they can uh, in in that sport. If it's skiing, yes, papa and mama might be a bit happier (laughs) than if it's in a rink. Um, But then again, you know, if they become Olympian or professional athlete, that's 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 in them, or it is not, and time will tell. I, I don't think you can groom that much, uh, you know. And I always like to look at a Sidney Crosby, you know, will grab a puck on his own uh, and play until the, the 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 light goes off. And was like that as a kid. Is it his dad that pushed him? I really don't think so. I think the dad probably brought him to the rink, but then you know, it was his job. Like my dad had a great great saying actually. He was always like. If, uh, if, if you want to go to the arena, and that was for my sister, who was a figure skater, it was like, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you at any time of the day at the arena to skate, but you will wake up. If you want to wake up at 5, I'll drive you at 5.15, but I'm not the one who's going to be waking you up. That's mm-hmm. your responsibility. And to me, that's powerful. And that's, that's what he did for me as well as a skier. Like I had to say, I want to go ski. Perfect. I'll drive you for five hours if you want to go. Skiing. Mm. That's kind of like that approach. At a certain age, of course, you know, at four or five years old, which is the age of my kids now, I, I can't ask them that yet. But soon when it becomes competitive sport, well, it, it needs to be from them. It's, I don't believe it's from the parents. It's from them. And they have it or they don't, whether your parents are Olympians or not, I think.
0: That's awesome. I'm going to circle back to that with your two boys, but I'm interested since you're from a family of two kids, yourself and your sister, how did your sister sort of influence you growing up? Was she a instigator of of things in your life or a a challenger or was she a supporter of, or what, how did she play a part in your life?
1: Yeah, me and my sister are five years apart. Um, So of course I I think it's a, uh, it's a good thing in a way uh, because we were not like, Competing for the same thing, the same toys or the same friends, or which I'm sure being closer has also a lot of positive. But for me, she was really that, that big sister that took care of me and that inspired me. And of course, we had our little moments, but uh, I think looking back, like we, we got along quite well, even in, in both of our teenage years. And seeing her uh, being the figure skater that she was, uh, for sure, that inspired me a lot to, to be better that, I, that, that she was you know, in a sport. I, I wanted to get my own, uh, you know, successes in sport, but she had hers. I mean, she went to nationals in figure skating and she was, you know, she was very good. She didn't make it to the international level, but, um, you know, seeing her being so disciplined and going to every practices and very early as well, like you see that as a younger brother and that's, that's, that's your reality that, yeah, if you want to be good at something, you just, got to put your alarm clock, wake up and, and do it. And, uh, and as well, she got a lot of that positive, uh, view of the world that my dad had. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite on their side, you know, uh, of the spectrum. I'm definitely more in the middle, uh, which, you know, I bounce a bit left and right sometimes between positive and negative, but I really try to remind myself to 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 be more like like them and and see life that way and I think that's what my sister brought the most and again she's she's a physiotherapist now and she travels with the freestyle team uh she's been at uh, well every Olympics but one that I've been to uh either as an athlete or as a coach she was always there as a physio so you know that's that's quite powerful I remember in, in Nagano when you know I got my knee operation my I tore my meniscus two weeks before the Nagano Olympics and you know it was a tough moment because uh, I was ranked second in the world so you know I, that dream of going to the Olympics was now a dream to win a medal at the Olympics but it, it was taken away from me a couple of weeks before the games and now I had that new challenge to face which was to compete in mogul skiing pretty much on one leg um, but you know if I didn't have my sister there beside me I, I don't think I would have had the, the not the will but the positive energy to, to try to go for it and, and remain positive and and she was uh, always there and, you know, at the top of the hill and at the bottom of the hill when I was crying. I uh, was in her arm and uh, I'm just, you know, so lucky to have a sister that, that's been there you know, well, since I'm born, obviously. But I think we, we, we connected so powerfully in, in, in sports uh, during these these moments. And, and she's still physio for the team, even though I'm not uh, involved anymore directly. So um, it's cool to see her as well perform on her, on her side, but still involved in sport.
0: Mm-hmm. It must have been um, an interesting moment for you to see uh, what happened to uh, Phil Marquis this year, going into the uh, Olympics. Uh, maybe sort of a déjà vu for you in some sense, with his
1: knee injury, yeah. trying to ski on one leg, as you said. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Uh, and that's why I talked to him. He, he wanted to reach out to me before the Olympics and see what I thought. And well, my, my answer was yeah, like try and go for it. And And his first run was phenomenal. Like when we saw him ski, like unfortunately the event didn't end there. uh, He still had three other runs to do, but he did like two well, one very good run and the second one was okay. And then the third one, well, he couldn't make it down, unfortunately. But, you know, I think he proved that he still deserved to be there, even though on one leg, Mm -hmm. he better than, you know, the other Canadians that were behind. And it was a bit of the same thing for me. I was like, Some people thought I should maybe not go and leave my spot, but I still believe that on one leg I could be better than all the other guys, which, you know, I finished 17th at the Olympics. It's nothing uh, wonderful. It was my worst result that year. Uh, um, But still at 17, was better than what probably any other Canadian would have done at that point. Mm -hmm. So I never felt bad about that anyways. Like I think, you know, you you earn your spot. And uh, if the the other people behind didn't qualify, most likely they were not medal contender. You know, so I think in sport you know if there, if there's a young one coming up that you know could win a medal, you know in, in the case of Phil Marquis, for example, maybe I would have said, "Well, Phil, you know there's this little kid that you know he's won like a few medals, like maybe you should think to leave your spot uh, and then I would have probably done the same if the other guys behind me were winning medals, but they were not um, I think we have to look at it that way, and then you know mm-hmm. seeing people fight uh and and face these challenges at the Olympics, I think it's also part of it. Um, You know, the medals are something, but I was talking with someone yesterday or the day before, and, you know, this biathlon athlete, the Kenyan biathlon, biathlon athlete, uh, you know, her her brother died not long before. I didn't even know, you know, but uh, all these stories that people don't know behind the, the good and the bad performances at the Olympics, because, you know, I work on the media side as well during the Olympics and, we don't know everything, you know, and sometimes you hear people commentating or uh, giving opinion on something and you're like, wow, like if you only knew what they've mm-hmm. been through, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I faced that personally as a coach and, and with, with, with the athlete I was working with, with, with Jennifer Heil, you know, like she had things that she was uh, faced with prior to the Vancouver Olympics that no one really knew and, and it's like that for, for a lot of athletes. So I think the Olympics, it's the beauty of it, like, yes, you won the medals, but stories like Phil Marquis or... Or mine, for that matter. You know, were 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 good Olympic stories, and mm-hmm. and it sure shaped me as the coach that I became. Which, at the end of the day, I I sure gave that back to the sports system.
0: Mm-hmm. When you look back um, at your career and s- stories like what you were just talking about, and now in the work that you do, what do you think are the three, four, five key characteristics of of the successful athletes, uh, the the ones that um, had a career like yourself? or anybody who really competed at the highest levels what does it take to do that in your viewpoint
1: the first thing to me that's key is they need athletes young athletes they they need to like being home for them is like it's just that that moment between both times they're on the rink or they're on the slopes and they just want to go back like they 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 don't want to be home to get on their computer or their their tablets or their phone they 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 just dream about their sport, and that's all they want to do. And, and I really believe that if you look at all the great ones and to come back to Sydney Crosby uh, or, or other athletes we can name right now that are, you know, look, well, let's use my sport again. Like, you know, uh, Michael Kingsbury, Alexandre Bilodeau, Jennifer Heil, like all Olympic champions. I can tell you when they were 10 Scotty, that's all they dreamed about. Mm. That's all they, they cared was skiing moguls. One of all one, 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 for one thing, they, that's what they love to do. But they were so driven to be the best in the world in that sport. And you know, I look at their parents. They're all such different parents, all of them. So, how much do we do? How much do we influence? I think for sure, uh, uh, for sure, you know, we influence in in the destiny of our child. But at the end of the day, to become a, a great one, an Olympic champion, or or someone in a, in a league that that's leading a professional league, they, they have it when they're very young in my view. So you need that. And I mean, if, if you need to tell your kid, okay, it's, it's time to go to soccer. Okay. It's time to go to soccer. And then hey, it starts in five minutes. Like, sorry, your kid will not be the best soccer player in the world. So that's item number one. It needs to come from them. You can inspire it. It needs to come from them. And then after that, you know, it, it's uh, the other element that, to me, that's that's really important. Is to be, a, I call that a bit sometimes, and it goes in line with item number one. Is you need to be a bit of a geek of your sport. You need to be, a, I call that sometimes like sport autism. You know, like it's like it's you're almost a freak because all you talk about is 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 a twist and a flip and a way you angle your skis or or a speed. Or, uh, or you know, a velocity of coming into the turn and like, you, you like I talked to Alex Arvey, for example, in in cross country skiing. You know, the best cross country skier uh, male we've ever had in Canada, and his dad was a cross country skier. And and you could tell Alex was a student, a geek of his sport. He understood, understood all of the elements. Like Mikael Kingsbury, he's a, you know, he's he was a bit weird, probably for his schoolmate. Like, oh my god, like that's all Mikhail thinks and 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 dreams about. But you need that. I do believe you need that. So again, it makes you being a good student of your sport. You understand. You have your idols. You want to be like them. You want to do like them. What do they eat? What do they do? And then and, and if I look at, you know, how, you know, Alex Bilodeau or like or, or Jennifer Al that was inspired by Jean-Luc Broussard, you know, like, what does he eat? What, what does he do? And then, you know, Alex Bilodeau was the same for some other athletes. And then, you know, Mikael Kingsbury loved Jani Latila from Finland and uh, Dale Beck-Smith from Australia. Like, you would know everything about them. Uh, I think if, if, you, if you talk to someone that's you know, 14, 15 years old and you ask them a few questions about their sport, if, if they don't know everything and about everyone, they might not, again, be driven enough mm-hmm. uh, to be the best that they can be in that sport. And again, Scotty, I'm talking to be either the great one or the Olympic champion, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you, you can be really good at something uh, without having that, you know, that, that that almost that obsession, I call it, you know, of uh, of being the best in the world. Uh, to be a really good hockey player, to be a really good skier, uh, and I'm talking still Olympic level or NHL. Uh, that you know, there's probably other factors that come in, obviously, and then you know, uh, physically, are you are you are you fit for your sport to be the best in the world? And that again, when we do talent identification in Canada. I think we should do better. Uh, We're starting to do it. But, you know, if you see a body type at, you know, 13, 14 years old that is really not suited for one sport, um, but the athlete has all the other, you know, mental element uh, and physical element to be an amazing athlete, well, why don't we try to stir them in another direction? Might work, might not work, but we know that if they continue that way, they're not going to be the best in the world. If you're five foot three and you want to be a volleyball player, I don't care how good you jump, you know, you're never going to make it. So, um, I think there, there's a bit of that. So, so of the three elements I mentioned to you, there's not many that we control as external people. Would you agree? Like it's, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying my three points are, you know, the the only three important points, but they are three things that every time I look back and, and I talk about it with passion because I do get a bit annoyed when people talk about like, you know, if you, work harder, everything is possible. If you work hard, everything is possible. And the, the 10,000 hours, and I do believe that's, that's true, to become good, not to become great. We, we, mm. we can't build great. Great happens to be, in a way. They mm. need to be given everything else around as well. You know, it's not like, oh, someone, you know, everything happens for them. No, no, no. Like, but there's those, you know, three things that, in a way, you're kind of born with it and Mm -hmm. but then you need to be born at the right place you need to have the right parents that bring you to the you know that are supportive that that have the opportunity that they can create some sports are super expensive i mean it goes on and on and on and on but there's you know those three things to me if you don't have it you're not going to be a great one unfortunately
0: well here's an interesting question to play off of that then do you think that being great is healthy
1: absolutely not
0: <laughs> 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 Had a feeling
1: you're. you're oh, no, no, no. It, <laughs> because to, to be great, I I don't think you can be fully stable in a way. You, you again, it's to go back to that sport autism analogy. Like, man, like imagine, like it's like saying, okay, you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, uh, and and you start your studies, and and you know that every four years there's only one person in the world that will become a doctor or a lawyer. Well, you need to be a little crazy <laughs> to start studying and spending the money for your law on your uh, medicine degree. Like it yeah. would be nuts to do it, but some do and some achieve it, you know? And, uh, and yeah, to, again, it's a big difference between saying I want to be an Olympian versus I want to be an Olympic champion. And for that, I, I think it's, uh, you need that 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 side of your brain that's uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if stable is right. I think you can be really stable, but it's not a. Uh, yeah, well, like you're,
0: it, yeah, you're challenged by things for sure that you're going to have to at some point bridge the gap on at some point in your life. I would imagine so.
1: Yeah, well, exactly too, right? Like, and that's why a lot of people, a lot of these athletes, have a hard time to to to. to to move on and, and retire because uh, that, that single focus of knowing why you wake up every morning since you're maybe eight or nine years old, when that dream really became something clear, the pathway was clear. So you know that exactly in, you know, 2012 at that time, or that day I should be competing. Uh, you know that like, you know, many, many years in advance. So that single f- objective is super tough, but it's so easy at the same time because it's so clear. Where when you moved out of that and you end up in the normal life, it's not so clear ahead of you, uh, and it's not often. It's not as motivating either, you know. Uh, and that's why they have such a. A lot of them have such a hard time, and and because you were in a way so obsessed with something, then then what else in life? You know, after your 20s, you still have like, you know, 60, 70 years to live. Uh, and probably what you wanted the most in the world is behind you. It's not always easy. Um, you know, it's, it's rare that you're, you're, if you look at other objectives that people might have in life, whatever they might be, uh, this one of being the best in the world in something would normally happen around your 20s. Um, and then what? Uh,
0: you've done it. Um, So do you think for yourself that coaching was um, your bridge for that into what you're doing now in your life in a sense, like you, you, you obviously wanted to be the best in the world at skiing and uh, you know, you got injured out of that opportunity and then you went into coaching was coaching in some sense. And I mean, you're a great coach, but was it also an opportunity when you look back on it for you to sort of, deal with because i remember talking to you out in vancouver about your your scent your um was it you you felt as an athlete sometimes you were you were pretty h- harsh and hard on yourself and hard on others and stuff and then you came out of it you sort of looked back as a coach and re- reframed yourself and things so maybe you, you could talk a little yeah. bit about that was it a
1: was it a bridge yeah break? well well for me I, I, as an athlete i was i didn't have the right attitude to, to be the best in the world you know like, yeah i won world cups but i was not a great one I was a good one could have been a great one yeah maybe i mean injuries came in the way i do believe now looking back i was probably responsible for a lot of my injuries um so i can't blame anyone but me uh so what i wanted to bring uh to the coaching side of my my my, my life was to, to make sure that the athletes that i work with don't don't go in the path that i that I went. And I remember talking with Alex Bilodeau and he had a bit of that. Alex was like super driven and really, really upset when things didn't go his way. And instead of, you know, learning from them and I had had a few hard discussion with him, but I used my example. I said, look, Alex, like, look what it did to me. You know, I, I could have been also, you know, the best in the world and maybe win the Olympics, but, um, because I was like this and like that. And I was, just getting frustrated and being impatient and all of that. Um, so I really tried to use those with the athletes that I, that I work with. But I think to come back to, to your question was for me, because I missed it out, you know, uh, in Nagano at my Olympic experience and still, you know, touching in a way an Olympic medal for me was, um, you know, the, the, the accomplishment of a life. Uh, I had to contribute in some ways and that's what motivated me to coach when they offered me to coach the team. The Canadian team, I said, well, yes, for sure. I'll do it uh, for, you know, two years because we were two years from the next Olympics in Salt Lake City. Um, but turns out that after a few hours of doing it, and I'm kidding, I'm not kidding, like, you know, a few hours of like, wow, I actually, I think maybe I love coaching more than I love being an athlete. And and to me, it was like that revelation. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to help people do what I didn't do. and uh, And that's the full on and only motivation I had. It, it, it was not money. I was willing to do it for free and and it's not because I had that much money in the bank account at that point. But again, to me, it was like, I don't want to die and, and not having been part of an Olympic gold medal. Um, and, and, and this was an opportunity for me and I'll do it for whatever, at, at whatever cost. And luckily, you know, Things that I also don't control turned out to be, you know, uh, positive, and you know I was able to contribute to to three Olympic medals um, as a coach. But um, for me, it was like this this desire to make sure that people who do have all those things that you can't really train to make sure that then everything else that they can control, I can help them get there as quickly as possible to avoid injuries, to make that pathway to success a bit shorter. Um, and it was so satisfying like really like my 10 years as a coach or 10 years as an athlete I could take 20 years as a as a coach instead like I really love them more Uh, maybe it's in me a bit that sense of uh, helping supporting guiding and bring that intensity because I really found it was as intense as being an athlete if not more because as a coach you, you take care of so many other things so many other factors and Elements uh, and people uh, to make sure that your athlete is in that perfect state of mind to be the best that they can be on that precise day at that precise time, and that uh, that is something that for me, I will always miss, like every Olympics I miss it now uh, I miss that intensity i mean I miss that satisfaction to really really contribute to someone's success at the Olympics. Uh, there's nothing as powerful as that in life, and you know uh having kids is, is wonderful seeing them accomplishing things is wonderful and I think there's a there's a similarity and a link to that a uh, relation between and I used to say it before I had kids I said I think being a coach it's like being a dad or uh, or a mom when you see your kids do things it's so satisfying well now I have kids and I think it's very similar being a coach mm-hmm. that's that satisfaction it was it wasn't me winning the Olympics it was it was a pure satisfaction of seeing them win it and uh And have that big smile on the podium hearing uh oh canada you know
0: Mm -hmm. that's a perfect segue actually for the piece that i do in all podcasts i had a book that i found a number of years ago written by a woman named linda joyce who's an astrologer but took astrology and numerology and combined them together and and comes up with people's purposes for their sign and their date of birth who I actually am going to be interviewing on my podcast next Tuesday. So I'm pretty cool. Uh, nice. that. So this is your purpose um, as a Virgo. Um, you are a Virgo four. <clears throat> so your purpose is to keep your focus on a dream and manifest it, breaking free of outmoded restrictions, negotiating a crisis placed on to test your determination, focus, and ability to decide What is your responsibility and what isn't change is not made without inconvenience, even from the worse to the better. The Virgo four either thirsts after change or finds it at every corner or cowers hoping it won't find them. But it always does. You have a versatile mind. Thoughts and actions come at super speed. You see into the future future and are fascinated by the past you tend to overlook and over stress you either devote your life to helping others or pursue a desire with a tenacity that will make others step aside if spirit is strong you will fight for justice and human rights wow wow <laughs> <yeah? laughs> i read that uh yesterday after you gave me a thing and i'm like uh about eight eight times out of ten when i read this there's a fair amount of uh connectivity to uh-huh. it
1: yeah so you were no, learning I uh, really driven by that yeah you by others that. by seeing others succeed and fight for it like oh man scotty like i remember when um so we're a judge sports, right? So there's uh, seven judges that judge mogul skiing and you, you don't always agree with the result. And, uh, and I'm not the kind of guy that just complains to complain. Like when I complain, I mean, obviously when people complain, they always think they're right. But when I do and I raise my voice, it's usually because I saw there was a serious mistake in the judging I'm talking here. And, and this time it was world championships and... Um, I really didn't agree with what they did. And the judges, they, they, they like me. And they, they knew that when I spoke up, like, even though it was very emotional, like they, it was done in respect. But that time I walked into that judges stand and I'm screaming and I'm, I'm, I'm holding the video (laughs) and I'm standing in front of them. I said, I want to watch that run with each of you right now. Because if you tell me that this run didn't deserve to win. Like, I'm gonna retire right now on the spot. And, and 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 I worked them. Like the whole like I pushed them until we actually did it. Off the record, they admitted that they might have missed something there. And uh, and they got the point. It was done in respect, it was done with a lot of emotion, but I care so much, Scotty. Like when when, when it says they're like fighting for the people, like for me was all about fighting for that athlete because he just got screwed mm-hmm. big time and it was obvious you know sometimes it's subjective maybe maybe not but when it's so true i just had to make my point and and, and i could give you a few examples like that of me like you know looking at the judges stand and be like what the F? and uh and other times when they did well not just with my athletes I would also I would also say it, you know, like, hey, that was really well done today. Actually, I plotted the judges in Pyeongchang when I was there at the bottom of the hill. I looked back and obviously I, I've known them for years. So I looked at a few of them and I clapped and I said, yeah, like we did a good job with, you know, the one, two, three. This is what it should have been.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Well, when I read that, I I recognized a lot of you in it and some of the things that I've experienced in working with you over the years under your passion and your 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 decided uh sense of justice and i remember the olympics this year the two occasions uh the one with the the weather for the slope style girls and then uh the other one with uh, alex harvey and his unfortunate fourth place and some of the things that go on in the background of of that sport so uh, it resonated with me for sure no
1: i get really because i i i relate to what i live to as an athlete and it just pisses me off like so much like it's like these people who make decisions sometimes you know like well their career continues their career doesn't end or start at the olympics but for the athletes like i said like it's their one chance most of them like yeah some have a second chance and very rare those who have three uh or more but uh like you play with their lives. like it's not just numbers it's 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 people it's people who dream all their life for that and, you know, like I said, like some that are not in a way so stable, like, like I was not so stable myself, would be willing to die for that dream. I read an article not long ago about a, a synchronized swimmer from Montreal, Jacinthe Taillon, and she works at Radio Canada with me in the media side, and I know her quite well. And she didn't want, before the, the Olympics, she didn't want to get the, her full tumor, tumor taken out. Because it would jeopardize her capacity to go to the Olympics, but yet by not taking it all out, it meant that there was still some in, and that she might die from it. Uh, but that's that's what you need. I'm afraid to say. Uh, maybe not to that extent. I think there's all sorts of level of that uh, craziness about it, and and I had it. I was ready to die. Uh, I would be okay um, to die afterwards. Rather than not living that moment, you know. Now I think it's crazy because I'm, you know, 40, almost 45 and with two kids. But if you don't have that, that side of you that's willing to, to, to do anything without cheating, obviously, but to, to, to do it and it's life or death. And, and I do believe and you and I have had that discussion before where I do believe that everyone that works around these athletes, it can't just be. Well, it's an Olympic and there's going to be an Olympic next time because I'm a physio when I'm there at every Olympics or I'm a training and conditioning specialist and I'm there at every Olympics. The athletes need to feel that for you, it's also life or, or death this time around because this is the Olympics for that athlete now. They might not be coming back, even mm-hmm. though you might, you know, as, 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 a, as a team supporter, as, a, as an IST, we call it. Um, and they need to feel that. And mm-hmm. I do believe that uh, that's critical. And that's, that's how I was as a coach. And, and still now, you know, through B210, that's, you know, to a different level, obviously, because I'm not so directly involved. But, you know, every time I meet with athletes or that we talk or we plan as a group, like, I want everybody around the table to, to have that sense of it's beyond urgency, you know. It's like, we got to do this or else we die, you know. <laughs> that's kind of what I want people to bring at the table.
0: I love that. Um... On that note, who is who? Who has inspired you throughout your career and sort of fed your fire for 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 what what you do and are doing now in your life?
1: Yeah, well, what a person that influenced me the most in my life and that guided me the most—it's J D. Miller. I mean, he's you know he's he's, he's my mentor and he's the one who founded B two ten with with me, and I, I work with him still, you know, every day. And he, he guided me so much, you know, through my. I would say like, you know, late, late teens. And, uh, he was not really an agent because he never charged any money to anybody, but he was someone helping athletes. So he helped me so much, um, and guided me throughout my life and all the big decisions I had to make, like whether I would stop coaching or resign or propose something to create change. And then through all of that, you know, uh, we created a lot of great things. One of them being, being B210 together, but, um, a person who, who inspired me a bit with, on the coaching side, to, to stick to coaching, uh, uh, was my coach, uh, Steve Dezavich. Um, he's still, as of today, the best coach in the world. Um, he, he he, coached Jennifer, he coached uh, Dale Beck Smith, he coached Canada before. Um, and he's, he's, you know, no one would argue that he's not the best coach in the world. He is. But also, as a coach, he's so he's obsessed twisted. and like <laughs> all he does before he goes to bed is he looks at videos and uh, like still today he's been coaching for 20 oh, I was, 25 years he's been coaching now and he still as obsessed about mogul skiing and every little detail as he was on day one and and to me i remember like seeing his energy and his like he would come home and start thinking and I, i'm not sure if it inspired or changed the way I became as a coach but it sure inspired me to to be a bit like him in a way Uh, so I would say as a coach that's definitely the person who inspired me uh, the most and you know he he coached we brought him to help and work with Jennifer Heil as well so we were kind of working together with Jan so I got to to work with him which was super interesting but uh, seeing his obsession for his sport and I'm sure if you'd go in the Room of all the best, you know, basketball, hockey coach. It must be a bit of the same. That's all they do. So, what the best coaches do, best athlete does. You know, like it's you need to, to have that that side of you. And um, and you know, uh, obviously, so many people around me, you know, that that have just you know helped me, inspired me, and I think that's what was been so. Uh, wonderful in working with b210 it's that it got me outside of just my my skiing bubble or my mobile skiing bubble you know i was mm-hmm. able to get in touch with so many other people so many experts like yourself you know that uh come to the table to work with these athletes and uh, it, it's so great when you see uh, people bringing that same kind of intensity and energy and and obviously their their own skills in their respective field It's uh it's great and you, you want to have people like that 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 do challenge you in a way to be to be better every day you know like a, you know like just you know people who come to to a meeting you know an ist meeting around an athlete like you know uh coming prepared uh like no one is just winging it you know like everyone that comes around those tables, they're top in what they do and and i, I know you know one of my what will be for a long time, I think, my best, you know, one of my best sport memories. The, all the work that that we've all done together with, with you and and, and Jamie and the twelve people we had around Tessavertu and Scott Moore, the ice dancer. Uh, like this, I would say is the project that satisfied me the most since I was a, a coach of an athlete. You know, like seeing them win in Pyeongchang, like brought me the same kind of tears that I had when uh, Alex or Jen, you know, stepped onto the podium at the Olympics. Um, even though my role was, you know, quite a bit more remote than being the coach, but just that work with all of you and all the team around and, oh man, it was, it was so powerful. It was so great. And to see that it, you know, I think we were all feeling like we did everything we could to bring them, you know, in the best position, position possible in, in Pyeongchang we would have accepted the second place if that's what it would have been. But obviously, you know, the story ends the way we really wanted to end then. It was mm-hmm. fantastic. But, but beyond that, Mel, I think it was, all, again, all that, that work between all, all of us, the whole team behind, uh, was something that would be really, really tough to replicate again that same kind of intensity that I love.
0: Yeah, I have to say, it's been, it was one of the more rewarding projects I ever worked on. I mean, the fact that it ended up working out the way we had hoped it would work out certainly makes the icing on the cake but uh it was one of those unique projects where the um energy and maturity of the athletes met the energy and maturity of the pro- professional team around them you know there wasn't any arm twisting to be done or convincing to be done it was more about uh, what is the purpose and you know as well as i do that's what we've always wanted to work around to a
1: degree yeah so, so true mm-hmm.
0: Um, what really challenges you still today uh, as, a, as a person? What's your biggest challenge uh, getting up in the morning?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm still really driven by, uh, by the Olympics. Um, I think you know, the, the day that I don't care as much, um, I'll, I'll move to a different field. Um, but for me to be able to, to make a difference in uh, in the athletes lives so their careers but their lives it's still what 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 drives me every day uh just yesterday i spoke with uh, two athletes. yesterday the day, the day before because uh, they were here in vancouver for uh, a cycling race so uh, i took the time to have coffee with them and uh seeing how we can help them in in, in many different ways uh, one is struggling with coming back from a crazy injury um and the other is, you know, uh, having some other uh, kind of issues. But when we can be there and and help and support and get involved in, in what they go through, to me, it's what drives me again uh, every day to wake up. Uh, when I feel I made a difference in an athlete's, even their day-to-day, that satisfies me uh, very much, you know. And going sometimes after the, you know, the different organization around them that are maybe not doing exactly what they should be doing for them uh, again like fighting a bit in a way for the athletes and in some cases it's it's smooth and i think our, our work you know at b210 is smoother and smoother with with the different sports organization but there's still always you know these athletes that are not always really looked after as individuals um, because of the reality of the sports system where resources are limited and Traditionally, we try to treat everybody kind of the same, but they're all so different. Like the two people I met yesterday, the only thing they have in common is they have the same sport. The rest, (laughs) it's like so different. So you can't treat these people the same. You got to talk to them. And not enough people talk to the athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Most people don't actually the organization. And and to me, that's what still drives me. It's that we're that organization. and, And I play that role where, I talk and sit down with athletes and I try to, to make a difference in their career and ultimately, hopefully, in, in their lives uh, as well. So that drives me. And at the Olympics, I become and I am like the most patriotic person out there. Like, I, I do love my country. You know, my purpose uh, in my purpose map is to, to, to rise Canadian pride. And because to me, athletes who win... Uh, make every Canadian more Canadians Uh, when a team wins it's even more powerful because then it becomes a team it's Canada so that's why I do believe team sports play a big impact on that Uh, but still you know individuals like when every Canadians turn their TV on and they watch those athletes and they end up winning and the flag goes up to me it represents what I'm trying to do every day in a way so yes I'm patriotic and I, I love my country but to me to think about rising Canadian pride to me, it resonates with helping and bringing as many athletes as I can to the top of that podium. Cause I do believe it's the best way to do it as we experienced here in Vancouver in 2010, you know, you've mm-hmm. never seen like, like walking on Robson street and hearing the random "Oh Canada, like people starting to sing. And to me, it was like, wow, We've taken the best from the Americans, <laughs> that, that love and that patriotism that they have so much that I was so jealous before, because I do believe we need that to succeed in whatever we do, especially in sport. If you're not proud to, to fight in a way for your country, well, you know, it's a different kind of fight now. It's, it's a sports fight, but it's still that still image of war, you know, where you're going to fight for your country. Um, and to me, that inspires a whole generation you know, arts and other field inspire Canadians for sure. But the Canadian flag um, is really carried around the world by athletes and uh, by soldier. (laughs) So, you know, when I'm in Norway and I watch TV and, You know, I see Alex Harvey leading a race and the Swedish commentator is going nuts and you hear Harvey and then Canada and you hear the random Harvey and the random Canada in the same sentence as the announcer is going nuts and and then the crowd is up and like, wow. Like this is the best we can do for our country. It's to have these athletes do well around the world uh, because they are ambassadors and and we want them and most of them are good people as well Mm because we are Canadians. so We want to keep that as well you know i think that image of being good people to me it matters but we want to want we got to want to win at all costs and i think that's where canada is heading right now which, which is awesome and i think since 2010 we we've changed a lot in this country
0: that's awesome Segway a little bit uh, as we're getting closer to wrapping up but uh, what does jen do for you what is she, how does she balance you as a as a human being
1: yeah so so Jen uh, obviously we became a couple uh you know I was I was coaching the uh, the national team and then uh when I was privately coaching her we became a, a couple in life and and I was coaching her with the help of other people uh that came in as coaches as well cuz I was coaching Japan so you know I couldn't fully be there for Jen and then there was other people like That person I named Steve Dezevich, who was to me the best coach in the world. So we brought her the best people technically and then, you know, people like like yourselves to to work with us to make her the best skier that she can be. So, where I'm going with that is that I do believe that Jen, what she did to me and still does, and I think she did to the whole people, to everybody who worked around her, she forced us to be better at what we do. We had to come up with a plan and a why and, and she's someone who would ask question. Uh, she made me understood that you can't just, you know, do some things because you feel that's right. Like feeling is good, but you got to have the, the why. And, and, and I knew that when I would bring that why to her, she would probably like take a few minutes or hours and do it perfectly. But she really forced me to, to be, to be better. I might be a bit general, but, to be more um, uh, precise, to be uh, more prepared in everything I do and and and, and in every day, um, which is great because she is such a perfectionist. Um, which I think I I help her in being a bit less of a perfectionist and she helps me in becoming better at being uh, more of a perfectionist in some, some things. I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm botching anything. I do far from (laughs) it. I'm I'm really, I'm really uh, close to where she's at, but I think for her uh, what she's bringing the most to me, is that, it's that, uh, that, that, that obsession in a way to, am I doing right now that the, what I could do to be the best that I can be, you know, whatever that is. And I look at her right now. She's uh, she started a new job, a new job eight months ago and seeing how she comes home and tries to improve on this and improve on that to, to then show up at work, you know, with, with, with better skills to to face whatever she faced the day before. And I think that's what she inspires me the most. in right now, and, and for me not to, to stay on, on the cruise control, right? Because, Things are good. I, I know. I know my my field quite well of Olympic sport. And but you know, uh, am I the best right now? Do I have the best skills right now to lead an organization to to to, to, to lead this or that? Like, well, yeah, I think I, I need to put more time in being better in what I'm not great at right now. Uh, which would be easy to still be on the cruise control because it works. It's good. Uh, it's actually great. You know, but. Uh, if you just keep doing the same thing, then great becomes good, you know? So how can I still be great? I think Jen teaches me how to do that every day. That's awesome. And how is being a dad? Do we have another hour interview here or what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's so difficult. Uh, and... I, I have been thanking my, uh, my parents uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, uh, since, because uh, I now appreciate and understand the complexity, the difficulties of, of, of being a parent. Um, again, just this morning, uh, I was faced with an amazing challenge of how do I react to his reaction uh, about something like, that seems to me stupid is the way we cut a box to build something, and I didn't cut it the right way, he said <laughs> so he goes banana and i'm like okay so i can't go banana with him because we're gonna be a big bunch of monkeys screaming at each other so i gotta work on myself and, and and reflect before i say or talk and i think that's that's what being a parent is uh well not well yeah it's, it's challenging but that's where i need to be really good at and be better at where like I need to reflect into everything I'm going to say because it's got so much impact and consequences. It's their life, right? Like, so that's how I feel. It's like, I feel like everything I say, do could impact who they become. And that's a scary thought. <laughs> and as much as I said earlier that there's only so much parents can do, I think again, yeah, for them to be the best in the world in something they, they got to have it. But I, I think the responsibility parents have is that, we might not be able to create it, but we we can certainly blow it up. <laughs> I don't want to blow it up, you know. I don't want to blow up their great lives that they could have. Uh, so that's a lot of it's pressure, weird, right? <laughs> it is, <laughs> and that's kind of how I treat it. It's, uh, but yeah, and now so my both of my kids are are boys. They're five and they're three years old, and it's it's entering right now a beautiful phase i think the the phase up until three is really hard uh and not as much re- rewarding in a way uh you know like now you can have those conversation and see those incredible smiles and and amazing comments that come from them out of the blue uh it's the random i love you papa or things like that it's uh yeah I, I think now it's it's great it's not necessarily well it's easier in a way for sure uh, but it's definitely more uh uh, satisfying and, and real right now but oh my god getting to here i'm not gonna lie it was really hard and you know, sleepless night and everything that people who have kids know but i i wish my friends have told me a bit more of, of well, I how told hard you. it is I you, you, told did, you. you did pretty good scott you did pretty good <laughs>
0: Uh, i am not gonna be blamed for not telling you (laughs) i made a pact with myself i was letting people know because nobody let me know (laughs) what what is uh
1: one lesson you know what well i took that from from your book i'm i'm doing the same right now i tell everyone who's about to have children like yeah. Good job. People might not tell you, but my friend Scotty told me and I'm telling you, <laughs> it's hard.
0: <laughs> What's the one thing you've learned about yourself by, when that you didn't really know about yourself before you became a dad?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, I think it just more, more puts a magnifying glass on what I kind of already knew, uh, mm-hmm. which but is could, like,
0: but could ignore at certain points.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, and then, but then you have it in, 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 well, not only in your face, but in the reality of, like I said, like we're, well, being really impatient today can have a big impact on my kid. Cause if he sees me react that way, if it so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a tough question to answer on the spot, but I, I think that's what it did. It just magnified everything about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that mirror became bigger, I would say, because you're forced to reflect, you're forced to see yourself more in the mirror where in the day to day life before I was a parent, well, if you're not that good at this or that perfect in the way you like the way you are and behave like, and you know, like in your work life, I mean, of course it's got consequences, but I just find with, with being a parent, like it's, it's times a million you know, and and you're forced to see yourself as you truly are, like like I was again forced this morning. My first reaction would have been to start you know, not not screaming, but it would be like, you know, go more in a confrontational way with him, which goes nowhere with a five year old you know so <laughs> how can i how can I work it differently and yeah, well, it, it goes
0: just, somewhere, it just goes really bad
1: <laughs> yeah so so you know what i do believe that being a parent will again make me a, a better person a better it'll be a better me i think because i'm i'm forced to to become that person uh, quickly cool
0: well i said i was going to take an hour of your time i took an hour and 10 but we did have a bit of a glitch so i won't take too much more of your time but uh thank you for spending an hour with me it's always good to catch up with you and thanks for being on my show and uh I look forward to uh, seeing you in person
1: sometime in the near future. Well, it's been a pleasure. And like for kids, Scotty, I got to say you're someone that makes people reflect a lot. Um, Like right now you make me reflect and just doing this interview. It's so cool. You know, and you were the same as a, as a trainer, uh, as a person, you know, and you make people think and reflect and that's why you do that podcast and you're so good at it. So thanks for having me on board and, I'm going to go and reflect on myself a bit more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The perfect finish. Thanks very much, buddy. Have a good day. Bye.